0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on
1: Revolt Black News Weekly. No
2: justice.
3: No
1: peace. In Akron, after 25-year-old Jalen Walker is shot 60 times by police. How a community is responding, we're on the ground.
4: Shooting 100 rounds at a person is absurd.
1: We, the jury, find the defendant,
4: Eric Ronald
5: Holder.
1: Then, Nipsey Hussle's killer found guilty. Our gabble-to-gabble coverage of the trial and what's behind the no-snitching syndrome.
5: Even as children growing up, we're taught not to ever tell on anybody
1: and Brenny Griner's confession in Russia.
5: She admitted that it was hers.
1: What will this mean for the WNBA star's path to freedom?
6: Payton didn't work for so so Plus, Cardi B drops new music in Luda's Girl Dad Karma. And the Emmy nominations are in, how Zendaya is leading the pack of black excellence in the remix. We've got it all covered as...
0: The black news revolution starts right now.
6: The Emmy nominations are in, and Zendaya, Quinta, and Lizzo all land a nod. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Kennedy Rue. And I'm correspondent Rochelle Ritchie. We'll get to those headlines, but first, we begin with the case of
1: 25-year-old Jalen Walker, who was shot at least 60 times by Akron police in Ohio. Jalen was laid to rest this week as his grieving family continues to demand answers and ask why? Now though the mainstream media seems to have moved on, we are continuing to follow this case on the ground in Akron. That is tonight's top story. Who shot Who shot A sad and all too familiar sight in America's streets. Protesters angry about another police killing of an unarmed black man this time in Akron, Ohio. Hold up,
3: our family into a circle we didn't ask to be in. But we here. We're sharing the same
1: circle as Breonna Taylor's of the world, George Floyd's of the world. Twenty-five-year-old Jalen Walker was killed in the early morning of June 27th after he fled what Akron police said should have been a routine traffic stop for unspecified equipment malfunction.
4: Getting on the eight south, of Talmadge. the reason for stopping is traffic, and, 21 shots fired and that vehicle just had a shot come out of its
1: door. Street surveillance footage shows Jalen's silver Buick being pursued by multiple police cars with what sounds like a gunshot and looks like a muzzle flash coming from his driver's side window.
7: Looks like we have some
8: units up ahead at the intersection of Maine.
1: After Jalen pulls to a rolling stop, he emerges from the passenger side wearing a ski mask and flees into a nearby parking lot. Fire! fire As officers give chase, one reportedly tries to subdue Jalen with a taser, which fails. And then eight officers fire their weapons as many as 90 times. 60 bullets reportedly striking Jalen, who dies on the scene. The gunfire lasts just six seconds. In the aftermath, Akron police state they believed Jalen was reaching towards his waist and turning towards them to shoot. It was later discovered Jalen was unarmed at the time of the shooting. A photograph of his front seat reveals a handgun, a loaded magazine, and a gold wedding ring.
7: I know that no
9: amount of grief or prayer will bring Jalen back. Excuse me. But please know that the city
1: mourns with you. City officials have released 14 videos totaling just under 19 minutes. The eight officers involved in the shooting, who have yet to be named, have been placed on paid administrative leave while an independent organization investigates.
9: When they make that most critical decision to point their firearm at another human being and pull the trigger, they've got to be ready to explain why they did what they did. They need to be able to articulate what specific threats they were facing.
2: I'm angry. I'm sick as a mother that it came to that. If they would have spent five minutes with
1: him, it would never have ended that way. Jalen's mother, Pamela, and his sister, Jada, say he was not violent and had no criminal record. As they laid Jalen to rest, they are left calling for answers, asking why their unarmed loved one was brought down in a violent hail of bullets.
2: We just wanna know what happened and why did this have to happen to him?
1: Here to join me for more on this story, our former police officer, Brandon Tatum, host of the Officer Tatum Show and podcast, Kevin Chill Hurd, president of the Greater Cleveland Association of Black Journalists, and Jonathan Harris, political analyst. Brandon, I want to start with you first. You posted the body cam footage on your Instagram almost immediately after police released it, and you gave a very detailed breakdown of what you saw, which appeared for you to think that this was a justified shooting. Why do you think that is?
3: Well, because you look at the totality of circumstances, you have a young man who's fleeing a traffic stop. Um, He apparently fired a a weapon at the police while they were in pursuit. He ends up getting to a, a particular location. He jumps out of a moving car with a ski mask on. And as he flees from police, he turns at the police. They attempt to tase him, which is a use of force continuum example. And they, he continues on and he postures up at police in the parking lot and then they use deadly force against him. According to the law, the totality of circumstance and the use of force policy, it appears to be a justified use of force that unfortunately resulted in the death of that young man.
1: Jonathan, what's your response to what Brandon just said?
4: It, it's, it's a tough sell for me to to be on the side of history to suggest that uh, for an alleged traffic violation, uh, the punishment is death by firing squad. I think it's it's a, a bit absurd And I think that we have seen enough uh, of this from police departments all across the country to recognize that this is not, you can't explain away every single one of these situations. At a certain point, you have to realize there is a systemic problem and it requires a systemic solution. It is, I I cannot imagine anyone can truly say firing over a hundred rounds at a person who did not fire at the police during the foot pursuit and was not carrying a weapon at the time he was killed to fire at him over a hundred times, shooting him 60 times, uh, to call that reasonable is just frankly absurd.
3: Well, there's two things that are, that are missing out of this context is that he fired a gun at the police. They don't have extra allegedly. They don't, it's not allegedly. They saw it on the poll cam. It's not that, uh, you know, that they have x-ray vision, they can see if he had a gun or not. All of the totality of circumstances behavior would lead them be- to believe that he had a gun. And when he postures up in a firing platform, and a firing stance, and every police officer reacts to his behavior, then it's reasonable to believe that they believed he pulled a
4: gun on them. REASONABLE, fair-minded people understand that shooting 100 rounds at a person, connecting 60 of them. Uh, for an alleged traffic violation is absurd. And and that's just, quite frankly, that's just the fact of the matter.
1: So, Brandon and Jonathan, I want to move this conversation forward and get uh, Kevin in here. You know, really quick, we do know that President Biden obviously it visited Cleveland and said that if there's any wrongdoing, then obviously the Department of Justice will get involved. But, Kevin, it seems like this story has sort of fallen from the headlines. Uh, we don't hear about it as much uh, anymore. Why do you think that is?
9: Well, part of the problem is what it always is. There's not enough representation uh, of people who look like the community within uh, the mass media, uh, the larger media within those various cities, which is one of the issues that we have as the Black Journalists Association, is to advocate whenever we can for Black journalists to have an unbiased story and to advocate for those families to continue to keep this very important story in the news, in the cycle, so we can get to the bottom a fair assessment uh, of of this travesty.
1: And how do we keep you know his this memorial? I mean, his family obviously is saying goodbye, family and friends to him this week. What can people do to keep justice for Jalen? The movement going forward.
9: Well, 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 like they said in the '60s, where there's people, there's power. So the people, the news we cover, we cover the stories. We don't create the stories, but it is it is up to us to tell the story and keep the story going as the people on the ground, as the organizations, the gatekeepers, uh, the Gen X, more importantly, uh, on the ground to keep the pressure on, on all aspects of this story, not just the police department, but the media themselves.
1: Gentlemen, I want to thank all three of you for joining us here on Revolt Black News Weekly. We'll be right back.
10: We, the jury, find the defendant, Eric Ronald Holder Jr., guilty of the crime of first-degree murder.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba
1: the verdict return against Eric Holder, who was convicted of Nipsey Hussle's murder. Welcome back. We are opening up a conversation about snitching and the impact of that word in communities like South L.A., where no snitching syndrome could be deadly. If you recall, Holder was accused of being a police informant. So tonight, we investigate why many in the community and even some witnesses remain silent and how much that hinders the pursuit of justice. That's all I'm trying to do.
7: Hustle and
11: motivate. Choppers are throw away. Today was really about Nipsey Hustle and the legacy that he leaves behind.
1: While the verdict brings some closure, Nipsey's death is still too painful for many to bear.
8: I'm still mourning. Three years later, I'm still hurt. So I know how much pain I'm in. So I couldn't imagine his mom, his grandmother, his brother, his kids. You know, he has a whole family and 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 it, it hurts me, it ripped my heart out. To these young people, he was their Malcolm X. He was a champion, he was the people's champion.
11: Eric walking up in between the two cars, looking at Nissi and saying, you're And Nissi, after getting shot, responding, you died.
1: Three years ago on March 31st, 2019, Holder shot Nipsey multiple times with two firearms in front of Nipsey's South L.A. clothing store, Marathon, an act the defense contended was made in the heat of passion.
11: So the heat of passion in this case relates to snitching, an accusation by Nipsey Hussle that Mr. Eric Holder Jr.
0: was a snitch.
1: The term snitch is a serious accusation among the rolling 60s neighborhood crips, the gang to which both men had previously belonged.
11: It was very soon after this accusation was made publicly against him that he was so enraged and triggered by this emotional response that he acted without premeditating.
1: While the jury ultimately didn't buy that argument, the snitch label does indeed carry much weight in South LA. And according to rapper BJ Knockout, using it often leads to violent altercations.
5: What's the impact of someone from your world mm-hmm. calling someone else a snitch? I mean, that's a
11: deep thing, bro, because it's, it's, it's a matter of life and death.
2: When you are labeled a snitch, you are a liability to the neighborhood. You are a liability to the environment, right? snitches are not a, not a good thing in this type of community
1: the taboo of being perceived as a snitch was enough to negatively influence the testimony of witnesses for the prosecution
5: i have a bullet in my back and a fragment of it is broke off is near my spine
1: kerry lathan who was wounded during the shooting said on the stand quote i don't know nothing don't see nothing And most notably, Evan McKenzie, who served as a pallbearer at Nipsey's funeral, refused to testify despite standing next to Nipsey during the shooting. A judge issues a bench warrant for a witness who saw the shooting death of rapper Nipsey Hussle.
11: We have got to stop promoting this idea that gangs should be able to commit crimes in our communities with impunity.
1: While the community of South LA continues to heal, Nipsey's legacy of music and activism lives on, alongside the dark side of accusation and retribution. All
8: my life,
7: been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle pay
8: the price. After this trial, what I would like is everybody to just uh let's enjoy his music, let's enjoy his music like we do Marvin Gaye, like we do Tupac, like we do Biggie.
1: Joining me to bring more perspective, Najee Ali, who we heard from in the previous piece, also South L.A. activist Alex Alonzo, and Skip Townsend, former game member turned community activist. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Skip, I want to start with you as we dive into this conversation about snitching. Why is that label so problematic in the South L.A. community?
5: I think the label of snitching is so problematic uh, going back to slavery. Um, you got to figure that um, we were never a part of the system. So when people in the community, even as children growing up, we're taught not to ever tell on anybody because we have to look out for each other. There's been so many wrongful convictions, wrongful uh, accusations, wrongful arrests that we just don't trust the system. And it, it dates all the way back to slave days.
1: Now, Alex, we know that in the case of Holder, that a number of witnesses did actually come forward and testify, which helped seal this conviction. But there's still a lot of fear of being accused of being a snitch, which prevents witnesses from testifying in other, you know, very serious cases. Why do you think that fear exists?
11: Well, I don't know if it's just fear. Uh, We had a couple of witnesses that just weren't comfortable with testifying. I wouldn't say that the witnesses that didn't want to testify did it because they were scared. The culture of, it's not my job to tell, I'm not here to tell. And these are these are ideas and principles that are indoctrinated in us since we're a child, from our families, from our communities. And we got we to gotta understand that this is not just a street thing. Within sectors of society, whether it's corporations, law enforcement, um, the workplace, they all have a culture of not telling on each other. And um, we we can't just have this conversation as if it's only the streets or if it's only the gangs. You can't even get law enforcement to tell another cop that's doing uh, criminal activity. So we have to really broaden this conversation when it comes to snitching.
1: The fact of the matter is that there are a number of violent cases out there, as you mentioned, where people are not coming forward. And that is preventing police from being able to do the job that they need to do and get justice uh, for victims and their families. So what's the next step?
11: Well, I think the next step is for law enforcement to just work harder at solving their cases. For example, in in this Eric Holder Nipsey Hussle case, they had it all on camera, so there was very there was no need to pressure people from the community to come testify. Now, obviously, they wanted the driver to come testify, but we learned that the driver received a threatening call the day of her uh, the day before she was about to testify. So, for maybe in her case, she didn't she was. She wouldn't have done it out of fear, but she testified anyways. Um, Most of the witnesses in this case were not from the community. It was all on camera. They have plenty of uh, other witnesses to come forward, and only one witness completely flat out did not want to testify, and it turned out this testimony wasn't even needed.
1: Skip, do you know of any stories in which someone, you know, came forward in a case and they did tell the police what happened and something violent happened towards them. I mean, that's that seems like it may be pretty common, unfortunately.
5: So there's this a young guy, a friend of mine, who was just killed Friday, and it was a rumor that he snitched. They said he had his name in paperwork, and all he did was make a statement. He was shot. He didn't say who shot him, but he did make a statement that I was shot and I was standing outside. So once they have his name in paperwork and people put it out there, well, he was just killed. He was just killed this past Friday, Snoopy Blue. And uh, rest in peace, and I, I, that's a, a good, good a good dude. And this is what happens when rumors and information get out. He was not a snitch, but he made a statement.
1: I'm very sorry to hear about your friend Skip Najee. Let me get you into this conversation. You know, when you hear stories uh, like Skip's, that's part of the problem, right, is that people are in fear of losing their life. Give me your perspective on this.
8: Well, obviously, of course, it's always been part of the problem, uh, especially uh, in— our community, but I just say this, we have to start trying to change that culture of not cooperating with law enforcement. And I always tell us law enforcement, they have to start breaking their code of silence because I think it's very important that we come forward to assist when our people are murdered to bring these killers to justice. Even in Nipsey uh, Hussle's uh, case, it was unfortunate to see those who had been shot by Eric Holder uh, be reluctant witnesses on the stand. And we're talking about someone who shot uh, a witness and the witness was reluctant to give testimony on the witness stand.
1: Well, Skip, Najee, and Alex, I wanna thank all three of you for joining us in on this conversation. And it's worth mentioning that Eric Holder is set to be sentenced on September 15th. He faces 25 years to life. Now to the latest developments in the ongoing trial of WNBA star Brittany Griner, who remains in detention in a Russian prison on drug charges. While the two-time Olympian did plead guilty to the charges, what happens next? That's what we explore as we go black all over the world.
7: I honestly
10: can't rest until she's home.
1: I'm frustrated that my wife is
2: not going to get justice.
1: Legit fears from Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle, who at the rally encouraged the Biden administration to bring home the WNBA center and two-time Olympic champ.
10: I ask for your help in continuing to fight for BG's safe and quick return home. Let's make sure this administration knows that they have our support to do whatever is necessary.
1: That call coming on the heels of Griner's emotional plea to President Joe Biden and his administration, writing in part, terrified I might be here
10: forever to get that call from President Biden and Vice President Harris and to know that if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the
0: car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip, it was just a really long drive. at participating McDonald's.
10: They've read the letter and that they're going to react and respond. This is great, great news.
1: In that same week, since reaching out to the Biden administration, Greiner, carrying a photo of her and her wife, pleaded guilty in a Russian court to drug charges after she was arrested at an airport in Moscow back in February.
5: She admitted that uh, it was hers, but she said that it was
2: unintentionally brought to to Russia because she was in the in the
5: hurry as she was packing
1: as she sits in the center of a struggle between Vladimir Putin and a White House working to bring her home fellow athletes are keeping up the pressure
10: I hope you'll join us in making sure President Biden knows how much
2: we appreciate his work to get her and all other American detainees home
1: In Chicago, during the second half of the recent WNBA All-Star Games, players showed solidarity, wearing Britney's number 42 on their jerseys and introduced Reiner as an honorary starter. This, as the WNBA Stars trial continues and is expected to go through August. What we are also learning, former governor Bill Richardson is reportedly headed to Moscow for talks on freeing Britney. Richardson played a role in achieving the release of former Marine Trevor Reed.
6: Coming up next, my girl Kennedy is here with all things entertainment. Yes, Luda is opening up about Karma's World, and I've got all the Emmy nomination details in the remix. That's next. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm Kennedy Rue with this week's Entertainment Remix. Both Lizzo and Cardi B have new music, but first we start with Zendaya, who made TV history when the Emmy nominations were announced. Zendaya, Euphoria. Queen Zendaya nabbed four nods, including lead actress in a drama series for her role in Euphoria, an award she also won in 2020. At 25, she also becomes the youngest woman ever to earn a producing nomination. In an Insta post, she said, in part, I don't have the words to express the love and gratitude I feel right now. Okay, so if the store has 10 potatoes, right, and you take away two of them, how many potatoes would the store have left?
0: Janine, what did I say about taking my potatoes from the lunchroom?
6: Quinta Brunson also made Emmy history, becoming the first Black woman to earn three noms in the comedy categories in the same year. Her show Abbott Elementary scored a total of seven nominations. Six nominations. Emmys. Do you know what the Emmys are? Lizzo was so excited that her prime video show, Lizzo's Watch Out For The Girls, was nominated that she went live on Insta. Nicole Kidman's gonna be
2: there, bitch. Probably. Nicole Kidman might be there. And I'm gonna see Nicole Kidman at the Emmys. What am I gonna do when I meet
6: Nicole? I don't know. I've been through a lot, but I'm still flirty. She also drops a new album this week, her fourth called Special. It's got 12 tracks, including her blockbuster hit, About Damn Time. I've got a Cardi b unleashed a new video tuesday for her collab with Ye and lil dirk it's called hot well a word that rhymes with hits
1: I'm body number
6: <laughs> neo drops his eighth studio album self-explanatory which has 13 tracks and is his first new album in four years eminem announced he'll release his second greatest hits album curtain call 2 on august 5th Ludacris promises new music soon as well but right now he's all about his animated netflix series karma's world which was inspired by his oldest daughter karma we have the power to help change things we're all special in our own way and season three deals with a wide range of issues ranging from toxic masculinity to disability rights are these all issues that your daughter, Karma, has come to face in her personal life?
0: Um, absolutely, it does. Some of these things, you know, were actual, real pop things that she was going through. So we draw from real life, and I think that's part of the reason why the show is so successful.
6: And now it has its own line of dolls, too, by toy company Mattel.
0: Representation matters, and you know, black is beautiful, and what better way to do that than reinforce it through having uh, these different dolls and a styling head dolls that actually the texture of the hair feels like real hair, so they can practice on it.
2: Nene Leakes, you have been assigned to the orange room. Would well, this is the orange room?
6: And finally, Nene Leakes returns to school alongside Slim Thug, Ray J, and Lamar Odom in the BET reality show, College Hill. And she tells us things have changed since she attended Morris Brown College in the 80s. They had like a place to hang out and shoot pool and get burgers.
2: And I was like, dang, y'all got all kind of nice stuff over here. Some money over here.
1: All right, switching gears to the notable cases we've been following, beginning with the sentencing of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin for violating George Floyd's civil rights. That kicks off our gavel-to-gavel coverage of who's caught inside the system.
11: It is the judgment of the court that you now stand convicted of that offense.
1: Derek Chauvin, already jailed on state murder charges for his role in George Floyd's death, must now serve an additional 252 months in federal prison.
10: A lot of people ask, what's the difference between the federal prison and the state prison? Number one, with the federal prison, you serve 85% of your time usually. Also, in terms of
1: the federal prison, federal prison has more resources. It's considered to be safer than being in a state prison one of the many layers left in the system, continuing the ongoing fight for justice in this case. We know that there are three other
10: officers that were also involved in the death of George Floyd. Now, in the state system, two of those officers are going to trial in October, because one of the officers, Officer Lane, pled guilty, so he's waiting for his sentence in regards to this state case. Now, in regards to the federal case, all three of these officers who actually testified on their own behalf in the federal trial are now facing sentencing as well. That sentence has not taken place.
11: I want to acknowledge the deep and tremendous pain that all the families are feeling, especially the Floyd family.
1: A glimmer of justice served, wrapped in an emotional plea from George Floyd's brother, Phil
8: The maximum amount of time is enough time, because you have to sit there and let these people know that you're stern about what's going on in America today.
6: If you think about Minneapolis and you think about what happened there, you have an attorney general who was someone that understood his job. Keith Ellison was voted in by the people. What that tells me is that local DA races and also your state's attorneys, all of these elections, literally from the top to the bottom, they all matter.
1: to blaze up the charts with her hit song, Break My Soul. Welcome back. The song is trending with thousands of posts about her empowering lyrics to quit your job, which falls in line with the recent conversations about the Great Resignation and the millions of adults choosing to leave their gigs due to toxic work environments, career-changing goals, and burnout. So how is the Great Resignation impacting the black community amidst inflation? Let's get into it. Joining us today, cultural and political commentator Quentin R. Giles, entrepreneur Austin Gary, and diversity, equity, and inclusion manager Kirstie Mitchell. Welcome you all to the show. Kirstie, I want to start with you. We know that 20 million Americans resigned from their jobs in the first five months of this year. What is the disconnect between employees and employers during this time?
2: I think that employees are just looking for better. A lot of work environments are toxic and the iniquities between black workers and white workers is is striking. So I think a lot of black Americans are realizing, you know, for low pay, long hours, burnout, and uh, and a lot of effects on our mental health, it's just not worth it. And you got to remember after 2020, we've, we've witnessed a lot of trauma, mass grief, mass death, and people are reevaluating what is really important in their lives. So, you know, it puts black employees kind of figuring out what is what's really working for us and what isn't. And I feel like we're able to decide how do we want to change our
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba ba ba.
2: Careers, what do we want our lives to look like and there's a disconnect with what corporate America is providing for black Americans.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned you know some of the issues that black people are having in the workplace because 80% of people of color are actually saying that they're dealing with microaggressions, there's a lack of diversity, and the glass ceiling um, is still an issue uh, within our system. And Austin, you're joining me here in studio. So glad to have you. You know, you're a business owner. What are your thoughts as an employer when you hear that 20 million people are leaving their jobs?
7: Well, they're not basically thinking logically. I mean, I look at COVID, of course, allowed unemployment to come into effect, and Mm. black folks say to hell with this job. I'm getting $600 every week, unemployment. And their mentalities are still there. They don't want to work. They want to basically want everything given to them. They don't have the mindset to say, you know what, I'm going to earn it. That's Hmm. not the society that we're living in today. Right now, they're robbing. The jobs right now, people that are really succeeding in work are robbers.
1: Kiersey, I heard you chuckle a little (laughs) bit. What what are your thoughts about what Austin just said? Um, I disagree with the fact that, with a statement
2: that he made that people don't want to work. I think people are excited to work. People are excited to be a part of organizations and be valued. But I think that corporate America is just not providing that. For a long time, we've been subjected to systems that don't really serve that. And corporate America is long standing a part of that. You look at how much women are being paid in comparison to their to their um, white counterparts and how much black men are getting paid in comparison to their to their white counterparts as well. And we're just not getting paid the same, we're getting paid less. And even if we have the same amount of education, the same experience. So we're really witnessing within within corporate America that we're just not valued as much. And I think we're kind of tired of it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna tie this question up with a rebuttal to Austin as well. Love you brother, but I vehemently disagree. I think that the idea that black folks just don't wanna work is an old, psychotic racist trope um what what the younger generation is doing is saying no more we have options right whether that is jumping from job to job whether that is starting our own businesses we see a surge in people like austin as being an entrepreneur creating their own businesses to create sustainability for themselves we had over 5.4 million people uh uh, file paperwork to become their own business or business owner and so what this generation is saying is saying hey i can get on TikTok, i can get on instagram i can make the the same amount of money if not more than I would at a nine to five without even having to have a large following. So why would I continue to go to a toxic work environment where people are going to underpay me and not value me when I can go do it on my own and or go work in the gig economy so that I can have the flexibility to raise my uh, kids or to care for a sick loved one and I can just tap in and work when I need to work to pay my bills. And so I think that this generation is just saying I have no interest in working at a toxic place for 30 years to hopefully collect social Security which may not be there, uh, and trying to figure it out on their own.
1: So, Austin, you're getting tag-teamed a little bit, so go ahead and respond. I
7: I, I appreciate both of your comments. However, I agree with some sort of what you said, and I disagree. I do believe that we're in a society that they don't want to work. I don't believe that TikTok is the main source of an income for a lot of these new-coming uh, millennials, I call them. I believe, whereas you work a 9-to-5, and then when you get off that 9-to-5, you work your business, and you basically, you're trying to create a transition right now people are looking at the transition and not putting in the work to get over to be their own ceo in their own lives what have you and then i also believe that corporate america i personally don't feel anything racist about corporate america i applaud corporate america however we could be corporate america you know, you, you, you go to college, you get a degree. I don't believe that the degrees is going to always get you in the door of what you're going to school for. However, I do believe that we're just in a society that it's a lot of laziness and people just don't want to basically earn anything. That's just my perspective of it. But I respect what you said to god may god judge you. Better. Here's the ga-
0: here's here's the gag here's the gag about TikTok and I'm going to I'm going to stand up for the millennials on TikTok. Out of all the things that I do and I'll give you the tax receipts. A year ago, I made $89,000 from posting on TikTok. So you can make you can be sustainable on social media. Maybe because you haven't seen it or maybe you're not in the spheres of people who are actually doing it, but there are ways to make lucrative money on social media and doing other things that provide you a certain level of comfort and sustainability for your life that does not depend on a toxic cultural or a, a, a work, corporate America
7: structure. Not Kirstie. saying I don't believe it, but give a class. Okay. Teach the people. Okay. Teach the people how to do it. Teach the people how to actually get to that level where they're making so let's, money. So let's,
1: let's do this. I want to wrap this up with Kirstie really quick because you're talking about teaching people how to do it. Kirstie, how do employers hold on to their employees? Obviously, they need to be taught how to do that, right?
2: Absolutely. And one of the great things that we've seen out of the great resignation is that employers have to shift to figure out how can we keep and attract top talent. So they have to increase their pay. They have to have provide better benefits. They have to provide child care, flexible work environments, because it's really a candidate's market. That's just the facts. I work in human resources, and I've seen the, d- the disparities from the inside out of corporate America. And I'm really proud of this workforce, millennials and generations z because they're really changing the system from the inside out and when you demand change you get change and so employers are going to have to attract top talent in ways that they've never seen before and it's really taking back power and power in the candidates and the employee market
1: well i want to thank you austin for here joining us here in studio again quentin thank you so much as well as kiersey spirited and respectful conversation thank you all for participating in this little chit chat -chat. all right we'll be right back after this before we go we shine a
6: spotlight on one woman who is shaking up the NFL yes we are throwing major props to Sandra Douglas Morgan who's cracking the ceiling of football becoming the first black female president in the entire league that's why we've crowned her as this week's
1: revolutionary of the week
10: you know she was recommended by several people
6: and then uh, you know we, we like I say it was an exhaustive surge of talking to a lot of qualified candidates but every time it just she seemed to rise to the top.
10: It is made by Seth
1: inside the Touchdown for the Raiders, who have just added a groundbreaking new asset to their team.
10: The greatness that we see on that field, my goal is to replicate that throughout this organization. That culture of winning, teamwork, and transparency will be a part of everything we do.
1: Sandra Douglas Morgan for the win, a historic play heard all around the Twitterverse.
0: Looks like she's going to be just what the Raiders needed to take over that hump to not only dominate on the field, but uh, among the community and then um, in the
9: NFL in general.
1: Morgan's meaningful ties in the NFL through her various roles, including being vice chair of the Las Vegas Super Bowl, serving on the board of directors for Allegiant Travel Company, as well as being the wife of former NFL player Don Morgan.
10: I'm deeply, deeply passionate about this community. I've served on a number of boards that have helped people throughout the region and the state.
1: From Nevada City Attorney to implementing policies against discrimination within the gaming industry, Morgan also spearheaded the closings and reopening of casinos amid COVID-19. At the end of the day, she says community is at the heart of her mission.
10: Each one of us has a role to play in mentoring and supporting our community's most vulnerable and the responsibility that we share in this Raiders organization to make an everlasting and positive impact.
1: Breaking down barriers is nothing new to Morgan, making it known just what's possible for black women and young girls everywhere.
10: I have been the first in, in other positions that I've held, whether it be city attorney or the gaming control board. I definitely never want to be the last. And I went to get to a point, obviously, where there is no no more firsts. I definitely would tip my hat to all of the prior women that were leaders and visionaries. And if I could be an inspiration or help or open doors for any other woman and girl out there, then that's an incredible accomplishment for me. Her
1: extensive experience has more than prepared her as she tackles this upcoming journey, leading right. Nation and the culture couldn't be more thrilled.
7: I'm honored just to be called her friend, and I can't tell you how happy I am for this appointment for her. This is going to be wonderful, wonderful.
1: Wow, she is such an inspiration. Congratulations, Sandra and Kennedy. We were just talking about Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State, now part owner of the Broncos. So a lot of
6: black women are jumping in on this NFL. Yes, these black women are doing incredible things. Well done for them. That's all for us. We'll see you guys next time.